Timothy 6, we're going to start in verse 17. Six seventeen. I already started my study on the book of Judges. So I, I read the book of Judges yesterday. It took me an hour and seven, hour and eighteen minutes. And my wife said, "Well, that's fast." I'm like, "Really?" So if you're a really fast reader, you do it in an hour. If you're a really slow leader, reader, then probably in like, thanks, man, and probably like uh, under two hours. So the whole book of Judges. Um, like around two hours or so if you read the whole thing through. And I encourage you to do that. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to do a message for the Lord's Supper. The Sunday after that, I'm going to do a message on Psalm 16. So I think I'm going to start on the 21st, right? Yeah, 7, 14, 21, the third Sunday of March. I'm going to start in the book of Judges. And I'm not sure how many messages will be in the book of Judges. Um, I got a book called The Distressing Days of the Judges. Um, so it, it will be It'll be neat to go through this to see the grace of God and his sovereignty in the midst of the sinfulness of man. You, if, if, you remember reading Judges, it's horrible. Like, wow, this is really bad. And that's almost like how you know that uh, men, uh, in particular men, just men, did not write the Bible. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But you see that in even the book of Judges because you see just the wickedness of people, just how evil that they were, and yet you see still God's sovereign grace in the midst of that. So as you're reading through the book of Judges, don't forget that God is still sovereignly orchestrating all things to bring about Messiah to come, even in the midst of our stupidity. (laughs) God God is still faithful. You know, you see that in the book of Judges. There's a theme for you, right? So, all that to say, that's kind of the plan so today we'll, we'll finish up 1 Timothy 6, uh, 1 Timothy, book of 1 Timothy, we'll do 6, 17 through 21. Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink. Thanks, Aaron, for the water. Appreciate that. Uh, let me read, and then we'll, we'll jump in. <clears throat> to those who are rich in this present age, command them not to be conceited, or hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who grants richly to us all things unto enjoyment, for them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, sharing, laying up for themselves the good treasure unto the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit, avoiding godless chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some professing it have deviated from the faith. Grace with you. During my workouts, you know, I I count a certain number of reps that I'm supposed to do that I've charted for myself. And at times, in the midst of those things, I lose count. And I don't trust myself because I know I probably will say I did less. <laughs> so I lose count and I go, oh, I, I, I did 15, oh, sure. When I really probably only did like 
eight or something like that, or 10. Because I know I will probably do that. So I don't, I don't, I don't trust myself in, in that regard. So I, I usually say, okay, no, I probably didn't do 50. I probably did like eight or something. So I, I'll add more because that's my tendency. I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself in other aspects too. Do you trust yourself? You shouldn't. I need God's grace to stay faithful to Christ. So do you. I have a pastor friend. Who had another elder with him in the church. And, and not in this vicinity, this far away from here. This elder's wife, there was sin that was there. Um, emotional affair that took place not a real one she kind of came clean and repented and confessed that and was broken he didn't want to have anything to do with it though he didn't want to have anything to do with her he was done with her he wanted a divorce this is an elder in the church things went south he ended up drinking he lost a really good job they fired him and he deviated away from the faith and the church actually had to discipline, out of it, discipline him out of the church don't trust yourself I don't trust myself. And when you come to a passage like this, you remember why you shouldn't. And yet you remember the call on the positive end to be faithful. And really you see evidences of faithfulness from this text. Two ways that will actually display our faithfulness to the gospel. I, I titled this God's Manual for Church Life Evidences of Faithfulness or Evidences of Faithfulness to the Gospel. Evidences of Faithfulness to the Gospel. A long uh, statement for you to kind of sum up these last few verses of this letter to Timothy. You have two evidences display faithfulness to the gospel. Obeying the commands given regarding wealth or money and guarding the deposit of the gospel. These evidences are especially significant for leaders in the church body as well as the body as a whole. Remember, we've talked about this before where this was from Paul to Timothy. To me, this is charged as a, as, as, as a lead pastor in this church in Ephesus but these are ways where all of us as the church body, we can take away these promises, take away these commands, take away these truths and apply it to our own lives. And you'll see that once again from our passage. Trucking back through uh, this letter, you remember Paul began this letter to Timothy saying, this is our goal, love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. 
He reminded Timothy it was all about the gospel, calling the men to leadership, to exercise authority, to be, have community prayer, specifically the men leading that, the women learning in silence and submission. The overseers and deacons, their job description, who they should be, what these men should be about, who we are as a church, what we believe, and why it's so vital. Paul gave practicals for pastors and how as a pastor he should shepherd members, widows, elders, slaves. How to deal with people who have this love for money and the connection with that, with false teaching. And then pivotal commands that we looked at last week. So that's a summation of this letter, that first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And then here, Paul needed to warn Timothy to command those who had money in the body about the danger of conceit and hoping in their riches. Instead, they needed to hope in God who gives all for our enjoyment and needed to focus on the right perspective. And this is so good for us too because it gives us as, as our American culture, we're one of, if not the richest nation in the world. We have so much. How do we handle the money that we have. How are we handling this for the glory of God? In the same vein, Paul charged Timothy to guard the deposit of the faith, the gospel, not giving attention to false teaching, which some had done deviating away from the faith. It's so vital that we stay faithful to the gospel, not deviating from the faith, not deviating from the truth. It was striking to me when I started reading this letter and still when I started my study, why is it that he gave this whole section, verses 17 through 19, why does he talk about riches then? Why does he do that? Don't you think it's odd? Like why did he do that after he said uh, from verse 10? Command those who are rich and then blah, blah, blah. I mean, it would sound better when, if Paul would have said, uh, the end of verse 16, to him, honor and eternal dominion, amen, O Timothy, guard the deposit, right? Why, why didn't he just end it there? Why does he start talking about riches? Don't you find that striking? It's odd. I came up with three reasons. I'll put them up there on the screen for you, I think. The reason why Paul did this, first of all, to give positive aspects to being rich and to give positive commands to those who were rich. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. It's not wrong for you to be rich. It's not wrong for you to be wealthy. It's not wrong for us to have money. That's not wrong. But a second reason, so he ends the letter here calling Timothy to be faithful. So once again, we see something. We see the connection between staying faithful to the gospel and the dangers of wealth and how it can lead us astray. Because remember we looked at that in verses three through 10? The false teachers, they wanted to get rich. And that's why Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So you see that connection here once again. That's why it's so vital to not have a love for money and which leads to the third reason. Third, there may have been some in leadership who were rich and even in the body. 
Which makes sense because remember, there were false teachers who craved after money using the truth for their own gain. And this is where it's going to tie in for all of us. How do you handle the money that's been given to you? How do you handle that stuff? Because you can have a love for money and not be rich. You can have a love for wealth and not be wealthy. And you'll see when Paul gives these uh, commands to the rich, you'll see how it applies to all of us in so many different ways. But I'll, I'll give this last statement to you, then we'll jump in. True godly leaders, true godly Christians, give evidence to their faithfulness by being willing to give to the body and to stay true to Christ and the godliness. You're investing in the lives of people and you're staying faithful to the gospel. Or to put it another way, you love each other and you're loving Christ. Oh, that sounds familiar. That's, I think that's somewhere else in the Bible. Oh, I know. It's everywhere. <laughs> right? We invest in each other's lives because we love each other. We care for each other. And we're faithful to Christ because we love Christ. It's interesting. Kind of takes us back to what Paul said. The goal of our instruction is love. This is how you show love. So let's jump in, shall we? Notice how it begins here. First, handling of riches. Two evidences of faithfulness. First, handling of riches or how you handle your money. And it begins with this. First, handling of riches or handling of money. Two dangers to avoid. Verse 17. To those who are rich in this life, Paul warned Timothy about the danger of riches and wealth. So he commands Timothy to those who are rich in this life, in this present age, in this present world, he says, command them not to be conceited. Interesting. This word means, it's different from the word that's used early on from chapter, what's it, 6, verse 5, or verse 4, he is conceited. That's a different word. Here in verse 17, the word means to think highly. So conceited means to think highly because the temptation is for one who's rich to think their personal value or worth is equivalent to their monetary possessions. And we can do this whether you're rich or not. Right? My value can be connected to what I make versus what you make or what you make versus what I make. We can do that. So they think the brethren are lower than them. They are higher than them. He says, don't don't think this way. That's the first danger. The first danger to avoid is conceit. Second, notice he says, not to be conceited, or the words fix your hope literally is just to hope. Not to hope. Don't put their hope in the riches. Wealthy people are tempted to think that their riches can buy them anything. 
And notice what he says, put their hope on, not just on riches, but on the uncertainty of riches. Paul said riches were uncertain. That's true. When you compare riches to the great holy God, riches are uncertain. Riches appear to provide stability, strength, steadiness, surety in this life. But in minutes, seconds, what was that thing about GameStop? They can all just blow away. On the contrary, riches are volatile. They're unstable. Uh, Proverbs. I'll give you Proverbs. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not worry yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For it certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. It happens every month when you pay the bills. Gosh, where'd that money go? It all just blew away. We can be tempted to think that money secures anything. What about God? How do we handle our money? Here's something else. Something that's worth money. Your time. How do you handle your time? So two dangers to avoid. Conceit and hoping in the uncertainty of riches. And now he flips it to positive commands. Actually, six positive commands or exhortations. And notice the first one. Not to hope in riches, but he says hope in God. Verse 17, but on God. They needed to put their hope in the giver of the gifts, not in the gifts themselves. Our hope must always be in God, not in the stuff, riches, or wealth of this life. Going back to that, and I'll uh, uh, go forward again. I'll read to you, though, another Old Testament verse, uh, Psalm 33. A king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. And then verse 20 to 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your covenant love, O Yahweh, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. We don't hope in the stuff of this life. Our hope is in God. Hope in God. They needed to put their hope in the giver of the gifts, not in the gift themselves. Our hope must always be in God, not in the stuff, the riches, or the wealth of this life, which is so much part of our culture. I mean, the rest of the week, you are pumped with the fact that Wealth, stuff, riches, it satisfies you. It gives you security. You should hope in stuff. Did you get the new iPhone yet? 
Did you get this? Do this, buy this, buy that, blah, 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 gobble, gobble, gobble. (laughs) Trust in God, hope in God. Notice he says this too, but on God who grants richly to us all things. God alone grants all things richly or abundantly because he's so generous and kind. And notice the purpose from the Greek is just unto enjoyment, which is the purpose. The purpose, you can enjoy it. The aim of his generosity is that we can enjoy all his good, kind gifts. What's the purpose of that? We give thanks to him for his good gifts and enjoy them for his glory taking the opportunity given to us with his gifts to generously give to others. We're going to see that a little bit more in just a second with the fourth command, which is be generous. His intention is to give him praise and to enjoy how he providentially provides for us. Because really, when you think about it, it's all his grace, right? Right? And do you notice a play on words, by the way? Those who are rich, the uncertainty of riches, God richly grants the rich to be rich in good works. We're going to see that in a moment. You know, it's so easy for rich people to get sidetracked down the wrong road, putting their hope in this world and its stuff and not in the Lord. It's so easy for all of us to put our hope in money and to get sidetracked away from the gospel and to put our hope in stuff. What are the idols that have creeped up in your life? And that's what you're putting your hope upon. You put your hope upon that, not upon God. Hope in God to do good. This goes into verse 18 that they would be those who do good. Wealthy people should be about doing good to others, not trying to buy whatever they want and taking advantage of others. No, they love doing good. This goes back to chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction is love. They they do good to others because they love. And then third, they're rich in good works, he says. To be rich in good works... Notice, they were rich, so be rich in your good works. Do good and be wealthy in good deeds. Are they just wanting to count their money or were they doing good works? Are you so concerned about the money and what you have? Or are you thinking more about how you can minister to others? Here's a question. How can you minister and serve the church body in good works and be abundant in them. How can you be rich by giving yourself to others? Which leads to the next one, number four, be generous. Notice he says to be generous. The word means ready to impart. So you have, I call it hope in God, 
He says to them, hope in God and do good. He says, be rich in good works. And fourth, be generous. Listen, as God has been so generous and giving to us by giving us his very son on our behalf as the greatest gift, those to whom God has graciously granted wealth and riches should be willing to give to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says that uh, Christ who was rich, he became poor, so you can become rich. Is that not the gospel? We are poor rebel sinners. And you hear Jesus leaves his glory, the richness of his glory, and takes on humanity to die as a substitute for sinners and resurrected from the dead And so anyone who repents and puts their trust, their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll save them and they'll be rich towards God because they'll have a relationship with God. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, that's for you. You should repent and trust Christ. That's the gospel. God has been so generous to us, which is why we should be so generous to each other. Stop giving to me. I can't stand it anymore. You're giving to me too much. That's the way we should be. Generous. And then that's why he says the next part here, the end of verse 18, ready to share, literally is just sharing, where you actually get the word koinonia, fellowship. They are generous with their wealth and are willing to share with others. And maybe, maybe some things can't necessarily be given to others, but a rich, a rich person, you, can, you have the ability and you should be ready to maintain that community that fellowship by sharing. Let's go do this with each other. Let's, 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 let's be a part of this. Come on. Those who are wealthy should invest their lives, their wealth, in that which is eternal. People and relationships. A friend of mine used to say, and he says, there's two things in this life that lasts forever. People and the word of God. I know, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Another pastor, he said to me, man, ministry would be so much easier if it wasn't for people. He was being facetious, right? Yeah. Ministry is people. If there's anyone who should take advantage of what God has given to them, it's those who have money. But see, notice how this transfers not only to wealthy people, but to all of us. Are we investing in each other's lives? You see where this love for each other comes into play? All the way back to chapter one, verse five. What's the goal of our instruction? It's love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith. Because it's all about the gospel. God has been so generous to us and shared with us. We should be willing to share and be gracious to each other. Be ministry-minded. Invest in the body. Members, be ministry-minded. Invest in each other with relationships, connecting with each other. That's going to last forever because money is just going to go to hell. It's going to burn. One writer said this, true wealth is found in relationships and employing one's physical possessions to enhance those relationships. 
and it's hard because you, know, you don't want to come across manipulating. You don't want to take advantage of others either. You don't want to flip side. Hey, you're rich. Why don't you invite me over for lunch, buddy? Right? But we all have to have that gospel Christ focus. So hope in God, do good, rich in good works, generous, share. There's five, no, number six. This kind of ties in with number five, eternal investing. Look at verse 19. Laying up for themselves the good treasure. It has foundation, but literally the word means treasure. We translate it that way. And notice he says treasure for the future unto that which is coming. Turn the currency, oh, eternal investing, sorry. Turn the currency of this world into eternal currency that has lasting value. Got that from a writer, but kind of tweaked it a little bit from what he said. This is how he tweaked it. Turn the currency of this world into eternal currency that has lasting value. And see, as, as the rich do, these first five, I mean, they're, they're transmuting their riches, now riches, into eternal riches. That's, that's the right view. How, how can you turn the currency of this world into eternal currency? Maybe it's getting lunch with others. Maybe it's getting together with them for coffee and things like that. That's investing in each other's lives. And you're familiar with this. Well, we read it. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew's gospel. We read that at 6, 19, 21. Future treasure is lasting. It has true value. Unlike the stuff here on earth. It's a rust. It's destroyed. It's stolen. You got to fix it. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I think is so ironic? With this whole pandemic, what's the word that people say now? Be safe. Really? I always, uh, I always shiver when I hear that. What? Eternal treasure is safe, reliable, steady. The gospel is safe. Christ is safe. Where in the Bible are you see we're supposed to be safe? Paul was never safe. That guy was a nutcase. That guy would go into the city, they would throw stones at him, he'd get up and be like, ah, man, I broke my arm my leg, but I'm going to go back in the city and preach the gospel. No, no, Paul, be safe. What? He'd be like, what's the matter with you? He'd probably smack you if you said that to him. You see what I mean? There's this, there's this whole way of thinking. And I'm not saying that, you know, you get sick, you have the virus, and you say, oh, hey, doing, brother, all right. You know, I'm not saying you do that. If you do that, I'll freak out on you, and I'll smack you. <laughs> Don't do that to me. That's why I have my hand sanitizer, right? <laughs> I'm safe. Whatever, Jim. Right? 
But when you think about it, what's safe? Jesus. We're never promised to be safe in this life. We're promised to be secure in Christ because Christ is safe. We're safe in Jesus. Eternal value, that's safe. And look at what he says here too. Laying up for themselves the good treasure unto the future and here's the purpose. So that you can grasp that which truly is life. It's not, it's not, it's not about this life. It's about that life. The purpose of these six positive commands were so that they, we may grab or take hold of eternal life, which is true or real life. And that is the spiritual life God will give to us more fully in the future, but it's what we enjoy in Christ right now. You have that life now. That's eternal life that he mentioned earlier. What, chapter 6, verse 12? Take hold of the eternal life. We have that now. And the good works, they evidence that. Investing in each other's lives. How you handle your money. That's the way you evidence faithfulness to Christ. How you love each other is an evidence of faithfulness to Jesus. Good works demonstrate true faith and love for Christ and His body. And to be rich in them is laying up true and lasting treasure stored up in heaven. As Jesus said, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 16. Our Lord talked a lot about money. So use your wealth. Use what's given to you by God for the glory of God and the good of others to bless Christ's body, to serve them, investing in the lives of people. Remember, what's the goal of our instruction? Love, out of a pure heart, sincere conscience, uh, good conscience, sincere faith. Handling money. Handling riches. And then here's the second evidence. Guarding the gospel. Verse 20 and 21. Here's Paul's final charge, warning once again with such urgency. Oh, Timothy, guard and has your, what has been entrusted to you, and that gives you the definition of the word deposit. And the word here, guard, was used in the ancient world it denoted the high obligation of being entrusted with another's treasured possession, keeping it safe. I'm talking about safe. Keep the gospel safe and return it as it was for safekeeping like a safe deposit box. You want to guard something to make sure it's safe? Not your life, but the gospel. You're guarding the gospel. You're guarding this deposit's. Paul called him to guard the deposit which was, is, the faith, the apostolic teaching of Christ. From verse 13, chapter 1, the faith. And and this guarding is in opposition to the false teaching which was the, the teaching that opposed the apostolic teaching. It opposed Paul regarding Jesus our Lord, regarding salvation, anything that's contradicted to what Paul says, that's false. That's wrong. 
And notice he says, guard it, avoiding, it says worldly here, it's actually the word where we get the word godless or even profane, vile, irreligious talk. He uses the same word in chapter 4, verse 7. Godless talk and, he says, opposing arguments or opposing oppositions. It's where you actually get the word antithesis. Interesting. Anything, it's anything that's antithetical to the faith, to the words of the faith, to the message of godliness, to Christ. Oh, church, guard that. When we gather together as people, we should guard that. Caleb brings that up. The first thing we talk about is gospel truth. We need to guard that as a church because our tendency is to forget. Our tendency is to move away from gospel truth, to move away from the importance of Christ and Him crucified. I know He... He says these ideas are falsely called knowledge. Interesting. When he says falsely, it's from where we get the word pseudonym. Pseudonym. Pseudo-author. False author. It tried to look like the real thing. It was really fake. It's nothing but a false deception. And typical of false teaching taking a strand of truth but a hair and then twisting it so it looks like the real thing but is really just a farce. It's a sham. Guard it, Timothy. Guard the deposits. That's the evidence of faithfulness that we're guarding this gospel truth. And remember, these false teachers were using the false erroneous teaching to get money. Try and make them rich. Their focus is on gain. The love of money instead of the love of people. Because you see what happens in verse 21. Which some professing this, or the word actually means to be promised or to lay claim to this. Because they lay claim to this, they've gone astray or deviated from the faith. Because they have done this, what he describes above in verse 20, they had deviated from the faith that caused them to go astray from the faith, from the gospel, from the truth, from Christ. He talked about that earlier in chapter 1, verse 19. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 1. And riches can do that. Money or a lack of it can draw us away from the truth of the gospel. We set to focus on stuff and upon yourself, not upon others. Guard the truth. Don't trust yourself. And notice how he ends. The same way he began, grace with you. God's unmerited favor ultimately shown in Christ at the cross. Oh, we need grace to hold to this deposit. Oh, we need grace to display 
this investing in each other's lives, this love. We need grace to do that. Yes, and notice too, grace with you, you is actually plural in the Greek. So it's not just a Timothy. This prayer of grace was upon the whole church body. You guys need grace to love each other. You need grace to guard the gospel, to guard the truth. Paul wanted to encourage and exhort and strengthen Timothy, calling him to be faithful to God's calling upon his life, but he wanted also to exhort the church to faithfulness and for us as a church not to deviate away from the truth. So, two evidences. And there's more, but just from the text. Display faithfulness to the gospel, obeying the commands given regarding wealth, how we handle our money, and guarding the deposit of the gospel. These evidences are especially significant for the leaders in the church body, but for all of us, really. For us all. Remember, it's love from a pure heart, a good conscience since your faith, all the way back to chapter one, how we're investing in each other's eyes because we love each other and we love Christ. We're gonna guard this gospel truth. What a fun book for us to have gone through. And let's pray that God will help us to be this people. Father, we don't trust ourselves, but we trust you. We don't hope in ourselves and in our riches and in our money, but we hope in you. We don't put our hope in our health or our wealth, but in you. And yet we are pulled by this world to put our hope and to live safe and to be selfish and to stray from the truth to help us as your church. As you are in this mode now, an exciting mode in the history of this church, you've been growing us. There's been such great and positive things that have been happening in your church and we're excited and the evil one does not like it. So we listen to the charge that's given to us. Father, I pray that we would invest in each other's lives as a church. Building relationships and allowing those relationships to happen organically loving each other and loving Christ, guarding this deposit, this truth, the words of the faith. Help us not to lose sight of who you've called us to be. And thank you. Now there'll be times when we fail and that's why Jesus had to die. Because we fail. But you pick us up you dust us off and you give us your grace and you move us forward once again. Your grace changes us and your grace picks us up. So make us, cause us to walk in the path of your commands because we delight in them. 
Yes, because we delight in you. Take this time, if you would, as we do each week, to fill your mind, to ponder upon the truth of God's word. Let your mind be filled with truth. Let your mind be filled with Christ. A few moments, minute and a half or so, whatever. You know, we'll sing, we'll pray.